0: Welcome to Top of the Game with Javier Sade, where we talk to amazing people that are shaping the world. These lightning round talks explore what makes remarkable leaders tick. Thinkers and doers pushing humankind forward and at the top of their games. Impactful insights, global perspectives, valuable wisdom you can use every day in your life and work. This is Top of the Game. Enjoy today's episode. Here's Javier.
1: Today, Lifelong Learning with Len Schlesinger. Let's do it. Len Schlesinger is one of the only people in the world that has seamlessly threaded a needle yielding with a spectacular, decades-long, and highly successful career in both business and academia. Growing up in Brooklyn and the son of Holocaust survivors has set him up on a jaw-dropping trajectory. He is in equal parts beloved and respected. As they say in Boston, wicked smack. He is a prolific author, educator, and business leader, and is currently Baker Foundation professor at Harvard Business School and chairs the school practice-based faculty. He has held many positions at the school and has taught classes in almost every domain. Len started his career at Procter & Gamble and ended up being COO of two companies, Au bon Pan, The Bakery Chain, and L Brands, which include Victoria's Secret and Bath & Body Works. He has served on multiple boards and is today a board member of Restoration Hardware, a very special person that has directly influenced the lives and careers of thousands of leaders around the world, including me. Enjoy. Len. welcome to the show. Oh, what a delight to be here. You have such a unique background. Let's start where everybody starts. Where were you born? Where'd you yep. grow up? Uh, born
0: and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, which is probably one of the more powerful developmental experiences that helps to explain uh, how my life has evolved, because I had to be relatively self-sufficient at a relatively early age. Um, Both of my parents uh, uh, were Holocaust survivors. uh, And so that provided a pretty significant uh, set of pressures and powers around how to think about the world. Um, And... uh, Uh, stayed in Brooklyn through high school uh, and then never went back.
1: Amazing. And yes, Brooklyn is not for the faint of heart, let alone uh, the provenance of your, of your family. Um, There's very few people in the world that have seamlessly gone in and out of academia and business. You've, you know, You've done so much at HBS, you ran Babson, you were president of uh, L Brands when they had Victoria's Secret and all the other brands, Au Bon Pan, corporate boards. What do you attribute your seamless transitions back and forth from thinking to doing to everything in between?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this
1: it's a really great question because people, by
0: and large, don't understand it and or don't believe me. So one, as I can say, I haven't been able to hold a job. And so I've had to do all of these different things to be able to make a living over time. But the reality is um, I'm either blessed or cursed with a short attention span. Um, and so um, what I can do is explain, in essence, my career and the choices I've made about how to spend my time pretty much driven by um, doing some work, stimulating a set of interesting questions and trying to figure out whether being in a company, being in a university, being in a classroom <clears throat> was the particularly the best way of addressing that issue uh, at that point in time. Uh, and I've had the flexibility with some great employers to be able to make those choices in a whole bunch of different ways uh, over time, but literally a perfect example. Um, I started here at Harvard Business School in the Organizational Behavior Unit. I was doing research on the role of first-line supervisors in manufacturing plants that were uh, doing work restructuring uh, to empower uh, frontline factory workers uh, for more self-management than they'd ever experienced before Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I spent a lot of time working in a variety of different factories around the world to observe that and to engage Um, uh, and that was completely driven by the fact that my first job after business school was as a first-line supervisor in a paper mill in Green Bay Wisconsin making facial tissue and toilet paper and being fascinated by the dynamics of the workplace uh, and the extent to which we had assumptions about uh, what management did and what crews did. Did that um, the peripherally on the other side, when I was worried about or thinking about these kinds of ideas shifting from manufacturing to service settings, probably that was about 10 or 12 years later, and People Express Airlines, one of the first airlines in this space started up I just paid $19 went to the airport flew on a plane uh, while I was an HBS professor um, talked to the flight attendant who was called the customer service manager who introduced me to the CEO and then I got to spend two years um, in that organization understanding the dynamics of trying to create a very new work environment from scratch so uh and then I applied that um in open pan when I left the school for three and a half years um, and was the chief operating officer there that they had the ambition of becoming the people express of French bakery cafes. So it's just been this continuous yin yang of being in places where I had time to think about it and write about it and teach about it and then punctuated by an opportunity to experience it and learn from that.
1: There is so much to unpack there. These uh, activities where you have to operate at the top level, and in a place like Harvard Business School, which, uh, as you know, I was a I was a student back in the Jurassic era, join as executive fellow, kind of a professor lighting calories. That you're surrounded by people that, at best, you're average, just because the brains are so are so expansive, and you know, typically driven most professors by one question or one issue upon which they build a career. But you seem to. Have had many questions. What is it that drives you to find answers to the questions?
0: Yeah, what? Well, it's a great, great question, and it's an easy one to answer. It's a continuation of this uh, this issue of curiosity uh, and alleviating boredom. So, I've taught probably two thirds of the various subjects in the required curriculum and four or five elective courses, different courses in the last ten years. I run the field global immersion going to 15 countries. Uh, And I do it quite honestly because it's my primary mechanism for learning. And so uh, what I can deliver is a high quality experience for students uh, if A, I know things that I can translate into insights and ideas that prove to be valuable, and I can sustain it in the dynamics of uh, either a 90 person section-based classroom or uh, a field experience. So I know how to teach. After all of these years, I feel pretty good about being a good teacher. What I love doing is translating that skill set into a whole bunch of new topics. So since I've been back here now for 10 years, I've never taught any course more than twice. Uh, And uh, I have colleagues who've taught one course for 40 years. Uh, So I'm just the opposite of this. So teaching a course is my primary learning opportunity. Um, and uh, I don't have to worry once I get that debt set whether I can actually figure out how to do what I need to do in the classroom. So um, it's a, just another great opportunity to learn, and this is an amazing place because the pressure to learn in some depth is driven by the fact that you're going to have to engage with an extraordinary uh, base of either students or executives. Um, so you better know what you're talking about, and it better be useful.
1: This uh, feedback loop you you describe uh, teaching is learning, learning is teaching is important, obviously in academia, but in every endeavor in life. And you know, a little bit of a, a different direction here. You also ran a world class university, Babson, also in in Massachusetts. How do you characterize the difference? And I know this is going to be a, a maybe tough to answer. How do you characterize the difference between the craft of teaching and the craft of running an institution that is tasked with teaching
0: is that a good question I've never thought of it quite the way you actually present it um maybe you know I'm a little embarrassed by it um I looked at the president's job um straightforwardly as a management job where the explicit criteria uh for being able to engage with an ecosystem of stakeholders um was much more explicit uh than it tended to be in most traditional corporations um and then has an academic component where you have to have some mastery in some subject area when i went to babson the strategic issue was <clears throat> they had not figured out how to parlay at that time their reputational capital and entrepreneurship into a sustainable financial model uh and a sustainable operating model um and uh, and so a large part of what i had to do was figure out how to take all these great ideas and help put the school on the map um and uh that piece was you know m- not much more different than any other managerial job i had other than i had content mastery uh alongside managerial mastery uh, so i, I love it. it was just amazing opportunity uh for me uh and um i loved engaging this was the first opportunity i had to engage with undergraduates in a significant way and I love the fact that with undergraduates you had amazing amounts of energy and optimism and uh, they didn't want uh, and so the ability to actually figure out um how to engage with them around again a field-based curriculum much like I'm doing now uh, was a great opportunity so every once in a while I would teach okay I would teach a course stuff like that same way I do here um I know how to teach now I knew how to teach then and I care deeply about the quality of the teaching learning experience that gave me a little bit of credibility but the rest of it was quite honestly a managerial job
1: has harvard yet figured out and maybe this is a uh maybe i'm talking about the whole university but maybe you can talk about it in the in the context of the business school ai touching every single thing in life especially knowledge-based work what do you think is coming
0: yeah it's a it's a great question i've been involved in so many AI related questions around here over the, the past several months and have played with so many different uh, large language models and platforms. Um, and in fact, with a, a, a colleague of mine who have been a medical school dean, we're now writing a piece about what the implications of AI uh, are likely to be for medical education. The big issue here for AI in a business school, rather than the university, is the fact that it's already being adopted in significant ways inside businesses. And so business schools can't fall behind the eight ball, uh, and uh, and it's not within the domain of our regular faculty skill set, and it certainly raises really interesting challenges for the discussion method that's based in the in the case method. So uh, what you have end up with for uh, AI is a traditional, in some respects, resistance to change problem. I have a number of colleagues who are saying, "Oh my God, this is really going to threaten the viability of the case method going forward." Woe is me. Woe is me. Then there's some people like me who sit back and say, wow, we can use AI to do all of the simple stuff, right? Just from the get-go with what we know today, uh, and we should be playing with that. And it is likely to raise profound implications for probably a third to a half of our curriculum going forward. We ought to be engaged right now in the joyous opportunities to rethink what we do to stay apace with... The, what is likely to be the most profound set of changes that I've certainly experienced as a manager academic in my lifetime. Um, so uh, this is very much, you know, the language that we now have uh, in the organizational behavior field and the change management field is um, this is not a time for someone with a fixed mindset. This is a great opportunity for somebody with a growth mindset.
1: Human beings don't know, don't know really how our 86 billion neurons with its hundred trillion synaptic connections work in our brain let alone how an artificial brain works right so we don't know how our own one works an artificial one is equally in a black box which poses many many more questions than answers which i'm sure is something that um motivates you and many at the at the school and across the country we can go on for hours But we can't. Uh, A chance to answer a bunch of lightning round questions. Very easy, but it gives a picture to people about what makes you tick. So are you ready? Ready. What's your happy place?
0: Summer house or winter house on
1: the beach. What's your favorite city?
0: Actually, my favorite city is probably Boston. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, I mean, it's it's years and years and years um, since I've had the opportunity to sit down and do nothing but, uh, but read fiction just for fun. But I still think um, I'm still a huge fan of Turgenev's Fathers and Sons.
1: Love it. Len, you don't know how much we appreciate you being on the show. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: You're very kind. It's been great to be with you. Look forward to future chats. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For information and links about today's guests, check out the show notes and visit topofthegame-thepod.com. Your host, Javier Sade, the show top of the game. Thanks for listening.